I was just blown away again. You, we all know this scripture, but I'm going to read it to you. It's in John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's walking now to, uh, to the garden, and uh, right before he gets to the garden, he says this, and this caught me the other day, and I think I knew it before. I, well, I did know it before, but I was glad I was reminded. In verse 23, Jesus says this, as he prays for all believers, he says this, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and here it comes for labor, uh, for Valentine's Day, and that the world may know that you have sent me, listen to this, and have loved them. Now he's talking to the Father. He says, Father, you love the disciples or followers in the same way you've loved me. The Father loves the Son. Excuse me. The Father loves his followers, us, disciples, the way the Father loves the Son. Oh, my. Now, that's pretty amazing. So uh, let that wash over you this week and continuing on every week. And uh, what a great blessing, huh? Uh, okay, so we're going to continue on with uh, the story of David and David's life. And there's so much material in so many different ways that you could teach these chapters. It's just multifaceted. Uh, all of these chapters, as we are learning in the Bible college, because we're sort of in Second Samuel now, not sort of we are, but all these chapters are rooted in promises that God made. And so... Uh, Anyway, and one of the things that God has done here and that we're seeing come to fruition is that God picked a man to be the king. God was always going to pick a man to be the king, but the people of Israel got ahead of themselves. And the people of Israel said, we want a king to be like the other nations. And so the people's choice was this king called Saul, who was great to look at, and uh, uh, but... Uh, had some real problems, and uh, we even saw at the beginning of our study that in chapter 16, in verse 14, talking about Saul, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. As the anointing of God is being transferred from um, Saul to David. It says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And uh, we're going to see that uh, here again in this chapter. We talked about it then. We'll talk about it now. And then, you know, uh, David is anointed. And he's anointed three times. That's really important for the life of David to know this. David is appointed, or excuse me, appointed, anointed at this time. Later on, some several years later in the second Samuel, I believe it's chapter two, he's anointed king of Judah. That happens when he's 30 years old. And then in chapter five of second Samuel, we're not there yet. Uh, he's anointed, uh, seven and a half years later over all of Israel. So he was anointed in stages, remember. And here we see his first anointing. It's the anointing of God. And he's just a young man, probably in his late teens. And uh, 
he is, uh, we see that uh, the spirit of the Lord is departing from Saul and that David is anointed and we see, you know, this man, this king who was the people's choice, who had doubts and fears and held on to his own kingdom and was more preoccupied with jealousy and insecurity than he was about advancing the territory of Israel, which is what a king does in those times. But here comes this young man, and he fights David and the Philistines and and wins and uh, becomes anointed. And we went through that last week. And, uh, And so now we get to chapter 18, and I want to remind you that Saul and his captain call the father of David, or at least David, and say, you know, whose father are you? Sorry, he calls David and says, Who, whose father are you? And he says, I'm the son, in the last chapter or verse of 17, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Remember that? And so now we get to chapter 18. Look at this. This is really fascinating. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, he'd just come off this great battle, this faithful battle, this faith or this uh, battle that was full of faith. And when you read the story of David and Goliath there in that chapter, David speaks out of an overflowing heart of belief and trust in God, just this little pipsqueak of a guy who had spent time in the wilderness with the stinky sheep, lone, praying to the Lord, getting to know the Lord, Lord speaking to him, and he spent some quality, beautiful time with the Lord and learned. He didn't waste it. He learned how to strike bears and strike lions. And uh, you read through that 17th chapter, and it's, you know, the battle is the Lord's. These people are uncircumcised Philistines. In other words, they don't have a relationship with the one true and living God. Why would we be afraid of them? And you hear this overflow coming out of his heart. I don't think it's, you know, like false rhetoric, something that he's conjuring up. He has this uh, deep abiding belief in, in God. And he's seen it happen in the fields and in the, uh, in the sheep and taking care of the sheep and, uh, uh, you know, listening to his father tell him the stories of the one true and living God. And he believed and had faith and, and he conquered. And we see that. And now when he had finished speaking, the reason I go through that when he had finished speaking to Saul, it's just a little part of a sentence. But that conversation must have been glorious, valiant, faith-filled, sweet, graceful, merciful, powerful, beautiful. And the reason I say that is because the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David there. Jonathan gained an unbelievable amount of respect and love and care and admiration for David as he saw him afar off and heard of him and then listened to this speech or this conversation that Jonathan, or excuse me, uh, David was having with his father. It's amazing. There's something about our speech, 
our countenance, the way in which the Lord lives in and through us. We don't have to be gregarious or, you know, um, you know, always, what's the word I'm looking for? An extrovert. We don't have to be extroverts. We can be introverts. It doesn't have to be one or the other. But this speech here, there was this quality, this speech. He was sure not of himself. He was sure of himself in God. But he was sweet and he was deferring. And he was humble and he was kind, but he was valiant and he was courageous, but he was counting on the Lord. And all of this must have transpired in this speech because if you know who Jonathan was, And what happens here to Jonathan and what he does, this speaking, this conversation really blew him away and had a powerful impact to him on him. He, he was a spectator and he was moved by this conversation. Now, I don't even hardly have to explain, but people are watching us, folks. People are listening. Uh, to us people, when you go to your workplaces, the one that maybe is tough and difficult and you get stressed out, and I do too, so I'm including myself, but I want you to remember something, that the Lord's there and is with you and is doing something, and people are watching and listening to our speech and the way that we talk and how we talk, etc. And this is amazing to me. And the reason it's so amazing, because in Chronicles... He's called the crown prince, and of course he's the crown prince. He's the one who's in line to take the kingship from his dad. And you say, oh, I know, but, but David had this unbelievable victory over Goliath. Well, Jonathan had a similar victory, and you could read about that. Uh, in chapter 14, I believe. Yeah, Jonathan takes on the Philistines, and he does it, you know, with great valiant, uh, valiant effort, uh, courageous. It's a really big-time victory in the history of Israel. So what I'm saying is he's the crown prince. He's the one that, in the line of succession, he's the one that gets the kingship. Now think about that. Who here would be willing to give up the kingship much? None of us, really. And another thing that Jonathan could say is, hey, wait a second. I mean, I know he beat the Philistines in the Valley of Elah, but I beat the Philistines before too. And I'm the prince. Why are we allowing this to go to this little runt kid? But Jonathan watches. It's it's incredible. It's an incredible story. Jonathan watches and sees, and he hears, and he watches him interact with people and his dad. And the Bible says that he's knit to the soul of David, meaning no jealousy. Now, I just want you to put yourself in Jonathan's shoes for a minute here, folks, and tell me whether you could be uh, refrained from jealousy or not. I'm not sure I could do that. I would be fighting for the rights that I think I have under the system. You know what I mean? And here he comes and he's, his soul is knit to David's. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
And Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Isn't that interesting? He took him out of the sheepfolds. And Jonathan and David, and this is important for the rest of the story of David's life, they made a covenant right here. They didn't just become friends. They made a covenant of friendship. They made a covenant because, what it says, he loved him as his own soul. Now, before we go anywhere else, now there's a lot of people in the academic seminary world that say, you know, that argue here that Jonathan and David had a homosexual relationship. And that's unfortunate. And you know why I think it's unfortunate? It's as if men can't have relationships deep and loving and friendly, good friends, like it's only reserved for, you know, the opposite sex or something. And yet the Bible tells us in so many places, amen, The Bible tells us in so many places that a friend or friends to have is really valuable and can really bless your spiritual life. I mean, come on, we know iron sharpens iron. We use it at all the men's retreats, right? Iron sharpens iron, and of course, that's so true. Friends can be friends who challenge one another and encourage one another and edify one another in the Lord. And that's a sharpening thing there. Later on in David and Jonathan's life, you're going to see later on that Jonathan encourages David in the Lord. And it says that he feels, you know, comfortable around. And you know, friendships are like that too. Amen? You know, when you go out and you're involved in ministry and work and doing your life, it's important, I think, that we have good, godly friends that build us up and that encourage us and that we can relax in their presence because a lot of society nowadays is tense and competitive and Stressful, frankly, and hard and difficult. And isn't it a joy to come to a friend and to be refreshed when you leave? That they have amazing amount of spiritual fruit that you can receive from them and feel nourished and built up and refreshed and to go back into life and you can and you can relax in their presence and not be so tense. I think that's important. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. And I think that's good for us. You know, you you have that one friend where you can just sort of go and say, you know, this happened and this happened, and I reacted like really badly to this person. And the friend is not always just constantly correcting you because really you just want to sort of confess and say I was wrong, but you, you, you know what I'm saying? You don't need always the 10 points that you found in Leviticus about what you should and shouldn't do or something. You just want to vent and they 
are there and they help. Their friend loves at all times. When you're acting good, when you're acting not so godly, you get it? And friends are important, I think. And here, this one, this one, it's incredible. The crown prince who had his own massive victories for the country of Israel, the people of Israel, knowing that this young kid who also had a victory and was speaking to his father was the one who was going to take over, this one loved him as his own soul with no jealousy. That must mean, that says something to me, that Jonathan loved God and was loved by God. Like I read to you in John 17, 23, he knew he was loved by God because Jonathan was not insecure. Jonathan was secure. You had to be secure to take off your robe. Think about this. The royal robes. He takes off his robe with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt, and he gives him over to his friend whom he loves. Now remember, in antiquity, in ancient times, if another family came in and pushed out a dynasty or a king, you know, a line or a family of people who were royal, the family that came in, you know what they did to the people who, they didn't save them. They killed them because they didn't want to then have them overtake. But here what Jonathan is saying is, here's my royal robe. Here's my armor. This is a man of war, Jonathan. Here's my bow. Here's my belt. Now it's going to be, think about this. This is going to happen. David's going to become king over Judah in about 20 years. 20 years, Jonathan is going to be in this place where he follows and loves this man, this friend who came from a family that was not from a very important place, and off you go. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. And I think of this chapter or this verse from Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Don't you want friends like this? Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards what? Towards love. Hey, guys, if you're sitting here and you're a guy, there's nothing wrong with saying you love another guy. There's nothing wrong with loving them, and there's nothing wrong with spurring them on towards love and good deeds to do things that are godly and not ungodly. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And boy, by the way, all the more you do see the day approaching, folks. Jesus is coming at any time. And all the more now. Consider here, it's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, 24. Consider for yourself how 
we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's friendship. And so off you go. And you see this and you go, wow. Lord, I want to be... Lord, here's what I pray. Lord, heal me... uh, (laughs) Cover over, uh, heal the insecurities in my life so that I can love like this guy loved. Not to be jealous, to root for the other and to see people succeed and do well and not consider myself in all of this. What a godly thing. And when you think of this, you think of Jesus who for our sakes, the richest of the rich, the Bible tells us, for our sakes became poor so that we may be rich. There's nothing like it. This is such a godly, Christ-like attitude of Jonathan. The Lord healed him of his insecurities and patched him up and sent him off. So David went out wherever Saul sent him. Now that is unbelievable to me. Because David is starting to know. But here's what David does. David says this. He's the king. He's currently the Lord's anointed. And I'm not going to manipulate the situation. I'm going to allow the Lord to work just like he did in the battle. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to submit to the appropriate authority. You know what? There's a lot of people in the Christian world who have trouble submitting to the appropriate authorities. I, I would encourage you to go back and read your Bible and not listen to news newscasts. And listen to what the Bible says about who and where we're to submit to. Because a lot of us have problems submitting, but David doesn't. He lives in submission to Saul because Saul was the anointed one. But David went out wherever Saul sent him. He did. He showed up and he said, Saul, you send me wherever you want to send me. I'll do it. And, but he behaved wisely. He didn't lose his testimony. He, he, he was a godly person on the job. Even as, you know, maybe Saul started to, you know, come off the rails a little bit, he remained steadfast. And he kept his integrity and his witness. You see it? And that could happen at your jobs, can it? You ever had a bad boss? And you think, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold on to my Christian life here. But see, that's where we need the Lord so much. It's where we start the day on our knees saying, Lord, I don't know if I can do this, but you could through me. Help me to behave in a godly manner at work with my boss or whoever. Whatever you're doing. Because whatever David did here, he behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. Now think about it. He's a late teen. Early 20s at the latest. And he's over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people. And also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now i got to tell you one other thing here. Here's a lesson here. You know when that is, I think at least in my life, maybe you would agree, maybe you would disagree. But in my life, you know when it's most difficult to follow the Lord or at least to uh, live a godly life and uh, uh, lay out my testimony before others when there's been successes and comfort in my life. 
and then I coast. Maybe you do. You're not as vigilant. You're not on your knees. (laughs) And, you know, I always say, and maybe you're sick of hearing it, but, you know, when Jan was pregnant with Cade and we thought he had something that was, you know, terminal, we've never felt closer to the Lord in our lives. And I wouldn't want to go through it again, but it's true. And so here I just want you to see something that's, um, really beautiful about David. He doesn't let success go to his head and wreck his walk with the Lord. He submits to the appropriate authority. Listen, when we have success, what do we say? Who are you to tell me what I'm to do? How about this guy who's my boss telling me I need to have this done by five o'clock? Are you kidding me? Etc. Etc. And you could go in a million different ways there. And still concerned with a godly witness, behaving wisely. And then saying, okay, you don't want me to be a shepherd, fine. You sent me over the men of war. Well, he was accepted then with all the people. He was acting godly, and it happened as they were, verse 6, coming home. When David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing. To meet King Saul. Now that's interesting. Why were they coming out to meet King Saul? King Saul didn't do anything on the battlefield. Remember, he was scared. That's what the Bible tells us. But whatever, they're coming out to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, here it comes. This is the straw that breaks the camel's back for Saul. Now Saul has already, the Lord has departed from him. Uh, he's being, he knows that he's going to be, you know, off the throne at some point and somebody's going to succeed him. David's going to succeed him, etc. But this is the thing that turns Saul's heart to bitterness. And here it comes. He loves the first line. Who's the writer of this song? This is amazing. And these young ladies here dancing for me. Saul has slain his thousands. Hooray! But David is ten thousands. And right then, look, Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now, uh, what more can we have but the kingdom? Now I want you to know something. And let's pray about this together as a congregation and a fellowship. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 14 that envy and jealousy rots the bones. It's toxic. It will eat you alive. And here you see just directly this handsome, has everything going for him guy who was panpicked by the people getting to the place where he was jealous over a teenager because the teenager did something that was great for his kingdom. By the way, this is really a red flag about a leader. When they have younger people or less experienced people around them and the 
the younger people or the less experienced people are starting to succeed and do well in whatever it is, at a church or at a business or whatever. You can tell a lot about a person when their understudy does well. And here you see a lot about Saul, because here the younger is doing well, and Saul is angry and jealous and bitter. What more can he have but the kingdom, he says. They have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can we have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Look at the words to describe Saul, angry and um, he eyed David or, or suspicion. He was suspicious. He was angry. He, he was displeased. And this should have been a major celebration for him and uh, 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 love that he was training up David in the ways that he should go. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied inside the house. Now, a lot of people are going to want to know, and we're going to put it up here because men smarter than me have studied this stuff. What do you mean a distressing spirit came upon the Lord, or excuse me, came upon uh, Saul? What do you mean a distressing spirit uh, uh, that was from God? And we're going to put this up for you. This is from uh, Norman Geisler and uh, another guy named Hal, his book. How could a good God send an evil spirit to Saul? And here's the problem. According to this passage, the evil spirit came upon Saul so that he prophesied in his house. And then he tried to kill David with a spear. However, the verse clearly states that the spirit was from God. How could a good God send an evil spirit to bring distresses to Saul? And here's the answer. Good answer, because God is absolutely sovereign, and the actions of any evil spirit would be subject to the authority of God. Therefore, it was according to God's permission that the spirit was allowed to come upon Saul and to bring him distress. And Saul had, remember now, Saul had already rejected God. God had rejected him from being king, and God had a special reason for allowing this spirit to incite Saul to action against David. Saul's attempt to kill David only made Saul realize that God was with David. Hmm. By sending David away and made Saul realize that God was with David. I might have messed that up, sorry. By sending David away and making him captain over a thousand, Saul inadvertently increased David's popularity with the people and hastened his own demise. The sending of the evil spirit upon Saul is similar to allowing God, uh, God or to God's allowing Satan to afflict Job. God allows evil but always uses it to accomplish his own good purpose. And that's from the big book of Bible difficulties by Norman Geisler. So something interesting because that happens twice there, or at least we've come across it uh, twice. Uh, And what I would like to say here at this time too is, if you're not reading this book, I would love you for you to grab this book. I think we still have some if we don't. Order it for yourself. It's called A Tale of Three Kings uh, by Gene Edwards. And his uh, little chapters here, they're just very little, uh, on this particular part of uh, the scriptures is really fascinating and wonderful. 
Well, one of the things that he says, and I'm just paraphrasing here, is that David now is going to go on a time. He's, he's, in, he's had success. He's kept his uh, godly attitude. But he's going to go on the run now for several years. The run. He's been anointed. He's been told he's going to be the king. If you were told you were going to be the king and people started wanting to kill your life or kill, take your life, especially from the house of God, what would you say in your prayer time? Lord, what's up with this? I'm the king. Uh, but Gene Edwards uh, brings up a couple things that I think are amazing. Uh, one of the things is, is that he talks about God uh, did not have at this time but wanted very much to have men and women, listen to this, who would live in pain. In other words, God wanted broken vessels to move and live on the scene so that God could get his seed, the Messiah, through (laughs) into the New Testament times, the death and resurrection. And the way that you do that is with broken people. In fact, if you look at uh, Corinthians 4, we're earthen vessels, cracked pots. Amen? Right? Remember that? Uh, something else uh, Gene Edwards says that I find fascinating is that Saul was anointed. Yes, Saul was anointed. But so was David. But why was Saul anointed? And one of the things that Gene Edwards says is Saul was anointed, listen to this, so that he would help break David and prepare him for his kingdomship. Isn't that interesting? Whoa. In other words, God can do anything. God's sovereign and can use anybody and do anything. And he does it for his good and glory, and he knows better than we do. And so here you have a distressing spirit on Saul. And I want you to notice something. David played music with his hand. And we know he was a harper, but he was a, he was a musician. He was a warrior, but he was a musician. And, but there was a spear in Saul's hand and Saul cast the spear for he said, I'll pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. Now listen, that's gotta be one of the most remarkable pieces of scripture in the history of all scripture. Because I can see once, but folks, if somebody threw a spear at you once, you wouldn't go back to your little stool, get in front of the harp and play again, I don't think. But David did it. Whoa, hold on. Why? (laughs) Well, I think why is because David was going to allow the Lord to depose this guy, to take this guy out. And he wasn't going to do it himself. And in the meantime, he was going to act wisely. But I want you to notice something. The godly person, what do they have in their hands? Things that heal, things that soothe, things that build up, things that are good for other people. A a musical instrument to soothe the spirit, to help the spirit, to bring people along. What do people who don't have the spirit have? They throw spears. And the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that even when we become a Christian, Galatians 5, our spiritual life wars against our carnal life. And I don't know about you, but 
I grew up in a household, we threw spears. That was our love language. You guys are looking at me like we're ogres, but I mean, that's just the way we did it. And so that's very natural to me and very fleshly. But, oh, I pray that I could be one who has, you know, uh, in my hands, an instrument that helps and to soothe and build people up and to love people and to make them feel better and to minister to them. And maybe you're in that category, too. Maybe sometimes you've used a spear when you wish you'd used a harp or a violin or the piano. (laughs) And I think one of the things, if you're a Christian, is the Bible tells you that the way in which you keep the spear out of your hands is to walk in the Spirit. I mean, it sets it forth right there in Galatians. We talked about it at the Bible school last night. I say then walk in the Spirit, verse 16, Galatians 5, so you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh because the lust or the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Ever said anything that was spear-like? Come on, folks, am I the only one? Oh, that might have been a spear. (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then when you look at the works of the flesh, look at some of these are spears. Hatred. (laughs) Contentions. Pow. Jealousies. Boom. Outbursts of wrath etc., etc., etc. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. These are things that are in your hands when you have the harp, when you're ministering to people, when you're just listening. You're You're not just correcting people all the time. You're listening and you're understanding. You're being a friend. So David played music with his hand but there was a spear in Saul's. And David escaped his presence twice. Now look, here's another word for Saul. Saul was afraid. So we have here displeased, angry, suspicious, and now he's afraid. And these are marks of people who aren't filled with the Spirit, who aren't taking their daily Sabbaths, their devotions with the Lord. They're getting crusty like you do and I do when I stay out of the Word or I don't praise and I don't pray. And here, Saul becomes afraid of David. You know, it's so easy to get afraid when we get away from the Lord or get out from under the spout where the blessings come out. (laughs) It's so easy to get afraid when we don't remind ourselves what the Lord promises us. Anybody here been afraid the last two weeks? Yeah, I've been afraid. Well, here he's afraid, this one, of David, because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captive over a thousand. 
Saul says, listen, if I see he's being successful, here's what I'll do. I'll make him so in over his head in war, he'll either get rejected by the people, the people he's commanding, or he'll get killed. And this is just a young kid, by the way. And so he went out and came in before the people. And David, look at this, behaved wisely in all his ways. He was mature, and the Lord was with him. You wanted to do a fascinating study, by the way. Find out, go go through the Bible and see where God is with uh, the people of God and the enemies of God really attack and see how the Lord blesses. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And of course, our ultimate example is Jesus Christ himself. When the battle is most hot, it's when the Lord seems to work in big and amazing ways. <laughs> and we wonder here in America why the Lord doesn't work. Well, it seems sometimes we're just too comfortable. But when Saul saw, verse 15, that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. Here it comes. It's right after the other, one after the other. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Do you see that? He worked hard in military operations. He wasn't one to just sit around. He went out and led And then Saul said to David, hey, here's my older daughter, Merab. Now you have to remember from 1 Samuel 17, remember if David won, he was going to get free no taxes and a wife from one of Saul's daughter and one thing that's escaping me, but somebody will yell it out right here and I'll remember. Oh, well, we'll find it afterwards. Three things. But anyway, he gives, I give to you, only be uh, valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I that it is, uh, what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law of the king? His plan sort of backfires. No, 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 no. I can't take your wife or daughter. I, I'm, who am I? And it happened at the time when Mareb, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to another. Adriel, the Mahathalite, as wife. Now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I'll give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Isn't that weird and ugly, that a man would use, a king would use his daughter as a pawn to get at somebody he was jealous about? That's ugly and gross and awful and evil. Well, anyway, Saul said to David a second time, you're going to be my son-in-law today. Can you imagine what David's thinking? Oh, yippee. (laughs) Wonderful. But probably not. He was way less sarcastic than me. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines. Are you kidding me? To take vengeance on the king's enemies. 
But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired, therefore David arose, went, he and his men, and he killed 200 men of the Philistines, and David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in the full count to the king, uh, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Some say, you can check this out, this is the only place in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament where we are told that a woman loves a man. But anyway, she loves him, and Saul was still more afraid. See, the writer is trying to get you to see what happens when you don't live according to the Spirit. You become suspicious. You're insecure. You don't believe, uh, uh, you believe people are after you. You become afraid. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Uh, then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Now let me just take you two places, and we'll wrap up. Look in Psalm 18 here. This is fascinating. Look in Psalm 18. Are we there? Yeah. Look at the inscription here in Psalm 18. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song, uh, uh, delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, and he said, and there you go, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. It says that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And so you see here, look, look let's read through it. I will, the verse bit of it. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I'll call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. You know this verse very well. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Well, Saul became David's enemy. And he could write this, and he could uh, see about this, and he could uh, live this, and he can trust in God through this. You know, it's hard when the, your enemies are your enemies, but it's triply and quadruply or whatever, exponentially hard when your family is your enemy. And that's who Saul's become now. He's become the family of David. And he loves this lady, and she loves him. And it says to me another thing as we think through these things. David continued to act wisely in all the things that he did. Now think about it. 
How would you think the Christmas Eve party went? With the father-in-law. As he knew he was out to kill him. Or the birthday parties for the kids. Or whatever, the get-togethers at their home or whatever, the, the tension that there could have been between family members here. And yet the Bible tells us that David continued to act and mature and be wise in all of those situations. And what I'm trying to say to you is, or express to you, and I think that the Bible is expressing to you is, that there are a number of different situations in which you're going to encounter as a Christian when you come into the faith. And when God calls on you, one of the things that he may do and will do is that he wants you to get rid of the self-life. If you're interested in being doing ministry, and oh, by the way, all of you are called to do ministry. We're all called to do ministry. If you're interested in doing ministry, the way in which God prepares a man or a woman is he takes them through things to get rid of the self-life so that they recognize and know that really what's happening here is that God is working in and through a person's life to impact and come to the place where a kingdom is being built. You understand that, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against his church, Matthew 16. That's our mission, is to move out and to gain territory. And we're going to see here that this man, David, when he takes over for real, for real, John Kennedy, when he takes over for real in 20 or 10 years or so, or 20 years, when he takes over, listen, He's going to have a kingdom that looks like this because Saul has neglected it. And one of the things that David's going to do is he's going to take this little kingdom and he's going to start winning and it's going to go like this. And it's going to go to the place where God had said was reserved for the people of Israel. In other words, David was going to fight for the territory that belonged to the people of God. And oh, by the way, he's asking you to do that until he comes. That a heart that is full of the Spirit then becomes under the rule and reign of Christ. And so he's asking us to do that mission. And one of the things that he wants to do first is he wants to take you and he wants to have you get rid of the self-life. And here he sees success and he's acting. Um, he's on the sort of the, the Christian honeymoon here. Things are breaking right for him and things are going well. But when we go, keep going through David's life, it's all going to go humanly into the toilet. The circumstances are going to be horrible. He's going to be on the run for 20 years in, with the, in the back of his mind, knowing that he's supposed to be the king. This would be difficult. And yet he lets the Lord work instead of coming in and sweeping out and manipulating the system himself or the circumstances because he trusts the Lord more than anything else. This is incredible. And, and so one of the things he does is he gets good godly friends to help him along the way, or at least the Lord provides him with good godly friends. If you don't have good godly friends, put this in your prayer journal and say, Lord, help me to have a person 
who I can go to that loves me at all times and I can love them at all times. I can cry. I can tell them my successes. They don't lecture me all the time. They just build me up, etc., you know. And Lord, when things happen and you start to move out, help me to be a person who gives you the glory and can exist in your successes without taking credit. That's what this is all about. Lord, as I walk with you, fill in my insecurities and heal me here so that I treat others that we're mentoring or building up in the way that you want me to treat them, by being glad for them and cheering them on as opposed to being jealous and afraid that they're going to overtake me and what I have for my kingdom. That's what happens when we're more interested in his kingdom. And oh, by the way, Lord, even within my family, Lord, you know what's going on in our families. Fill me to overflowing. Help me to be to know that I'm so loved and so um, um, looked out for by you that when I get together with my family, even when the spears come, you see, I can play the harp. Lord, even there, let me be a person of healing. and encouragement, even when the others are acting bad. Wow. David's got a big job. But for 20 years, he's going to be in pain. And that's what the Lord does. We can fellowship with the Lord in ways that we never could have before or or can when we're comfortable, when we are relying upon him, when we know he is the only way out. And I just pray that for each one of us, that we would lay these things before his feet and say to him, Lord, I'm scared, I'm suspicious sometimes, I'm insecure, I don't have a great relationship with my family, or whatever whatever it is that the Lord's teaching you through this, teaching me through this. And the Lord does those things in our lives. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come here this evening and we thank you for this word. And uh, Lord, it is a powerful word. It's a powerful word because you still do these things. You pick men and women for ministry. And then you take them through and strip them of their self-life so that we trust and obey you. And in the middle of all that, you give us friends and you heal our wounds and you help us to live among our families in peace and love, even when the others aren't peaceful. What a blessing, Lord. Lord, it's just such an honor to be able to follow you and to serve you. and to be your hands and feet in a world that is lost and lonely and loathsome in some ways. But we were too at one time. 
So we lift up our lives to you and say, fill us afresh, Lord, and send us out even tonight and moving forward in Jesus' name. And everybody says...